Halo, and welcome to another exciting episode of Bullet Points, the new critical video game podcast where we talk about shooting games and playing shooting games and thinking about shooting games. I am today's host, Patrick Lindsay, and I am joined by my uh, dancing skeleton co-host, Reed McCarter. Hello! And um, I guess, Ed Smith, you can also be a dancing skeleton if you like. Halo, everybody. <laughs> so, you if, if you're uh, paying close attention at home, you may have picked up on the fact that we're going to be talking about Halo today from the one and only Bungie Studios um, back in 2001, um, less than a decade and a half prior to the release of Destiny. We're going to measure time in pre and post Destiny, I guess, kind of like BC and AD. Yeah. Um, PDE. P- yeah, PDE. So, um, I mean, this is a huge game that probably everybody listening has poured at least a dozen hours into. Um, was this a first time through for either of you? No. It, it was for me. All right, I, I had a feeling, and Reed, I want, I want to hear all about that and what that was like. <laughs> okay. Okay. And what, what your thoughts on Halo are after having experienced it. Uh... Do you want me just to like talk about that now? You want me to tell you about my my first what? Halo? Your, I would like to hear your impressions on Halo. My my Halo impression? Yes. I'm Master Chief. <laughs> there you uh, go. Uh, 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 uh. And um, that's all the time we have for this. <laughs> <laughs> That'll wrap it up. Uh, I'd played Halo multiplayer before. I think it mm-hmm. would be hard to be someone in their mid to late twenties. Uh, in this year of our Lord 2015 and not have played some Halo multiplayer at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd never played all the way through uh, any of them. Uh, played like the first few levels of the second one with a friend. Um, but yeah, it turns out Halo is good. Yeah. You know, I, there's yeah. a, I think there's a reason that game uh, got some attention. It's really good. All right, now uh, the podcast is over. <laughs> Ed, um, what is what's your experience with Halo? Or were you one of those people who were like? Because I feel like back in the early two thousands, when the Halo series was still kind of being, when the games were still being made, people who were Halo people were were like Halo people. Mm. Um, like there weren't, at least not in my circle of friends, we didn't really have a lot of casual Halo fans. Uh, I, my experience, my formative experience with Halo was I didn't own an Xbox and I was invited around to a friend's house and we played the, the game cooperatively. I've actually barely played it on my own. I've always played Halo with somebody else and its sequels. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that is one of the primary reasons why I enjoy it uh, is because it's a really great co-op shooter. Mm-hmm. It's a really, really great game to play with a friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a way that games are not played with friends anymore. Um, but yeah, I uh, other than that, I think it's fantastic. I think that the first Halo game is, you know, um, despite the huge thing that Halo became and the way that it, it sort of came to emblazon some of the things I like least about video games, the first one in isolation is terrific in... Myriad ways, um, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd be kind of hard pressed to find 
lots and lots of criticisms of it, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, there are many, many reasons that I wanted to talk about this game. Um, we'll get to as many of them as I can remember to, but one of the more interesting ones is Halo was released, or rather, its its development history is um, actually quite fascinating. It was, as you know, made by Bungie, who was basically a Mac developer in the 90s. Um, and they had released a bunch of games like Marathon, which we looked at last time. Um, they also made uh, Myth was their kind of like foil to Warcraft. So Halo was actually conceptualized as an RTS and was supposed to be sort of like the magic bullet to kill Starcraft. Um, but, and the game was developed, and even pre-alpha builds, there are kind of RTS-y versions of it. And then when Microsoft bought Bungie, um, it became a first-person shooter, um, which is interesting because it's actually a really, really, really good shooter. See, and it seems to me like there are a lot of things about it that are almost kind of like designed from the ground up to make it a good shooter, which is odd because that, it doesn't have that history at all. Hmm. It kind of makes sense, though, when you say, uh, think, thinking of the enemies, there are, this game's really similar to Marathon. I think we'll mm -hmm. come at it at some point. Um, but the uh, enemies, you could, I can, when you say that it was supposed to be a strategy game in the StarCraft vein, you can see that with with the different kind of factions that they have. Mm -hmm. With these, actually, kind of a lot like StarCraft, you have your, you know, kick-ass space marine human people, mm -hmm. and then you have your weird aliens, and then you have your bug people. Your zombies, yeah. Zombie bugs. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, um, I really like one of the things I really like most about Halo uh, comes from that actually, which is when you. Uh, this has obviously been voiced, I think, quite a lot of times. So when you encounter a group of enemies in Halo, uh, there's an implicit sense of hierarchy. You've got the little ones, you've got the medium-sized ones, and you've got like a big one at the back, sort of looking as if he's directing things, mm -hmm. and. Um, compared to a lot of games that I've played up until Halo and, and even since Halo, that gives the gunfights this kind of just extra like seasoning of um you know interest. There's a there's a kind of small narrative I think in, in a lot of the, the gunfights in Halo that's just sort of oh, yeah. in through that through that little little bit of like a hangover from a strategy game. Yeah. Well and like what we were saying about um, Marathon before too, and I think you guys at the time mentioned that it kind of pre prefigures uh, Halo enemies with what Ed's saying, where there are the different, you know, the hierarchy of enemies that you run into a room and you have to figure out which ones you want to take down, which order. Um, mm -hmm. And that is very much like one of the best things that Marathon had going on mm. with the mix the mix of enemies and I think at the time I said it kind of reminded me a little bit of something like Doom yep. um, and you do see that too and it's not it's not quite the same with juggling these different weapons I felt like in Halo I kind of just used what I had on hand mm -hmm. um, but the same thing where you go into a new space and a bunch of enemies start running at you and you figure out which ones, how to prioritize them you have the little right. guys and the Shield guys, and it's my deep Halo lore that I know. <laughs> Shield guy, grunt guy, and 
there's the big also it's a rhino guys. in this one, but the rhino doesn't have a giant uh, amorphous genital sack hanging down in this one. At least not that we can see. No, you can get, you can get a DLC. It's called the giant amorphous genital rhino sack <laughs> DLC. It's <laughs> a pre-order I think bonus. It, I think it comes with warthog armor too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, I think it's worth mentioning that what you like, you guys are mentioning this kind of hierarchy, which adds to the strategy. But Halo, as they're saying, wasn't the first game to do this by any means. Doom did it. Duke Nukem 3D, I guess, sort of tried to do it. Um, but what I liked about Halo is because Bungie was so obnoxiously anal retentive about making the game so lore heavy, there is this sort of extra narrative justification for it. Um, and also the fact that, like what you're saying, Raid, you could only use what you had on hand, which, unlike other games of this era, one of the many differences between Halo and contemporaries, you could only carry two weapons at once, which. Um, <clears throat> really restricted kind of how you approach different situations. Um, I know, Reed, you are a very staunch Call of Duty fan, so I'm curious to uh, to get your input on that. Am I a staunch Call of Duty fan? You you are in the sense that you're a Call of Duty fan, which, in, as far as I'm concerned, makes you a staunch one. <laughs> <laughs> See, I don't even know if I'd call myself a fan, but I like those games when they're good, which, I don't know. Um, it's about as non-committal a... Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I like the very first one and I like Modern Warfare 1 mm-hmm. a lot um, yeah the, about like picking up guns and kind of having the two gun limit in, in yeah. Halo mm-hmm. yeah it's almost the same kind of thing as the Call of Duty except the guns in Halo are way more interesting because they're mm-hmm. you know you have your bullet guns and you have your guns that actually have a scope and different mm-hmm. laser pew 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 guns and um, it does kind of that Call of Duty thing though too where if you run into a fight and you have two guns on you and then you have to figure out how to take out what's been set up as your enemies and you kind of do this mad dash around the battlefield trying to prioritize taking down dudes who actually have what you need Right. which I think is kind of cool it's uh, you know the Call of Duty thing where if a guy's coming at you with a shotgun and you know you want that, then you prioritize taking him out so you can take that gun that he has. It's just a different kind of strategy than the classic, you know, Doom model where you have nine weapons or whatever. And you mm-hmm. just kind of keep switching between them. Right. Granted, there was still, there's definitely still a strategy to that in a game like Doom or Half Life that does that because the weapons are different enough. I mean, the way that they interact not just with enemies, but with the environments as well um, is such that there yeah. was an element of strategy. But Halo definitely kind of clamped down on that. I like both both ways. I know a lot of people I think this happens a lot in video games either love a modern trend or they completely bemoan it say that mm-hmm. everything was better before. You can completely see the rationale for going with this. You have two weapons Mm-hmm. Swap them out, make the hard choices when you're going through the environment. You know, it's just a different style. Both are different styles, and I think both are equally valid depending on what kind of game you're making. And it works. I, mean, for I think Halo. it's. I think it's safe to say that Halo is. I mean, if you play it on heroic, which is the third 
of four difficulties. They they say I think in Halo Two and Halo Three they say like on the screen that heroic is the difficulty that the game was quote meant to be played on, and it's not. <laughs> I, I mean I wouldn't say that it's difficult. Um, it's hard enough to be kind of challenging and exhilarating, but it's again I think the purpose of these games is to. I think it's a narratively driven game is what I'm trying to get at in a very roundabout way. It's a narratively driven game that happens to be very well designed, which fascinates me because you normally get one or the other. Mm-hmm. I don't know, Ned, or Ed, Ed, do you like narratively driven games? I would like to hear your take on that as a Halo fanatic. Not, I'm the Halo fanatic, you're the Halo fan. I'm a Call of Duty guy. You are. We're, I'm pigeonholing us all, handing out free <laughs> pigeonholes. <laughs> Um, I personally wouldn't call Halo narratively driven. I think it's quite, mm. I was going to say light. It's not light. It's too heavy. Like you said before, there's, mm. there's all this lore and mythology and, you know, mm. the gimbozoids have invaded Planesta <laughs> and this kind of stuff. And just, you know, the, the, the very worst, I think, in video game writing. But what I... What I like about it is it's a game of really great moments. Um, mm-hmm. They're not necessarily coherent or interesting from a sort of literature point of view, but the reveal of Halo itself, where mm-hmm. you know you begin the game on a very sort of metal and grey spaceship, which would normally serve as the setting for an entire game, and then bang, you're on this huge planet, and it's green and alive, and you can go within reason all over it is you know it's kind of like stepping from black and white to color in the wizard of oz it's such a nice mm-hmm. sort of especially given the era as well you know yeah. if, the, if the 90s had been defined by sort of interior and corridor shooters now you've got this one it's, it's like a big sort of statement no we we this is what we can do now um i think that's a really nice moment and i i really love the climactic car escape as well mm-hmm. i think there's such um, there's something so confident and fun and like and and playful in ending a shooting game with a car section, mm-hmm. and it works really well. It's such a great ending, you know, escaping this exploding derelict via car is it's a really really great ending. It almost um, kind of feels like like a victory lap because it's not particularly challenging um, unless you basically drive off the course. You're not really gonna. In, in too much danger of, of losing or failing, but yeah, that's kind of how I saw that. You know yeah. what? When you fail that too, it sucks because you have well, to I mean, do the entire thing three times. Yeah. Because you're bad at driving a warthog in Halo. Um, it is definitely its own uh, its own beast. But yeah, it's just it's full of all these great scenes and sequences and moments and I love spending time fighting alongside the human marine characters and, you know, going up into the enemy spaceship. There's just so many great, just, yeah, just, just setups. Um, I, I, the library level often gets picked on, but I actually quite like it. I, I like the sort of liar. Yeah, I know. Believe no, it or not. I wanted to get to that at some point too, because I, that was always the mythic, you know, the library in Halo is, is God awful. And I thought that was one of the more memorable levels yeah it's a bit repetitive yeah, but the entire game i think is a bit kind of drags on a bit i mean yeah. the, the library is good in one sense in that it, it it's good because it makes you really hate fighting the flood which i think you're kind of supposed to hate fighting the flood 
Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, the upshot is it's also a really unpleasant level to play through. But I, I like that. I actually, there's something I like about any game designer or game design studio that has the will to be unpleasant, to make something mm-hmm. that's actively unpleasant. Not just not as fun, but actively unpleasant. I think that that's, even if it's a slightly a slightly belligerent and unfinished impulse, I think it's one worth having just to say we're going to make something that's actively not nice to play. Um and the library is that. I mean, you talk about these these moments, Ed, and uh, one thing that I've noticed about the two or three Bungie games that I've played, or Bungie series, I guess we'll say, is that they do a lot of bait and switch, and they do a ton of that in Halo. Um, the whole idea of you leaving the Pillar of Autumn after the first level and opening up into Halo itself is one of those moments. The whole introduction of the Flood is another one of those moments. Mm. Um and I don't know, I know that we're probably going to be disagreed on the the narrative merits of the Halo series, but I think that in as much as what the, as they were trying to do a specific thing, I think that sort of design choice was fairly effective at making that happen. Um, which design choice? The, the whole sort of what do you mean? Are you trying like the, 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 to the bait and switch narration sort of thing? Yeah. Because they do it a lot. They have, yeah, like yeah, yeah, too yeah. much for it to be by, by accident. I feel. Yeah, um, I understand. I can think about that as a a fairly sort of cheap narrative sleight of hand thing, but it does always work in Halo. I think if you're gonna um, do <laughs> sort of cheap sleight of hand narrative conceits, big loud adventure games is the place to do them. Um, <laughs> and yeah, yeah, the the flood appearing kind of two thirds through. Um, yeah, I think it's a really, really, really great, and it, it gives. It, it's not just a kind of oh shit twist moment. It does sort of add a an additional, not exactly empathy, but understanding towards the covenant enemies. You you don't necessarily see them now as just you know arch bad guys. They they've got a motivation as well as you, um, and I think that that's something that is really rare in games to actually give the cannon fodder enemies. A purpose, right? Yeah, and when you when you were saying about these big moments too, I think when you talk about Halo's story, because everything I'd ever heard about it before kind of mystified me why anyone ever gave a shit about any of these characters or about this this story stretching across all these games. Uh, and it's not the story itself that I think if you you read a Wikipedia summary or something of of the plot and it's it's uh, really stupid, and it's something. Yeah, it's all it's all very boilerplate, like sci-fi video game stuff. Yeah, you know, it's um, and a lot of the twists are kind of forecasts, and they're they're not for any don't don't seem to be of any great purpose other than just to be memorable. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the way the story is told that's actually surprisingly, I thought it was surprisingly effective. Um, just just the way that they allude to all of this history and that kind of uh, bring the player into it without spending lots of time explaining every every little thing. They uh, respect you enough to to assume that you're going to kind of just pick up on what's going on as it's happening. Uh, or they just assume that you're going to read all the novels. I Yeah, 
I went right out and bought them all. I I, I figured I figured you would. Yeah. No, but I I don't know if that's the the best explanation for uh, what I mean. But there there's something about the the tone of the of the game that makes the story makes a very kind of bare bones uh, rote story turn into something a bit more interesting than you might think it would be. Hmm. Yeah. I can't I can't quite I can't quite get on this one. I don't know. I can't no. quite agree. Not exactly. Um because I'm always I'm always being sort of pulled back and I'm always sort of yeah caught by this rubber band of just the awful um you know uh, oratory sci-fi and then the covenant unlocked the ring of power and it, i i just no matter how well it's told no matter how much i um can appreciate you know how writing like that might be structured or or exposed to the player gradually i'm always just you know I, it just loses me straight away because it's just it's nothing it's yeah just i mean nonsense. there's there's nothing particularly great about the plot of the Halo games, nor is the narrative structure of the game itself particularly awesome. It's actually a really strong example of the whole like action, stop for a break, watch a cutscene, stop for a break, dive back in, do some shooting stuff again, like that that mm. method of delivery. Um, I just think that the moments in between its narrative that it provides you with are really, really satisfying and the design is really super tight. Um, <clears throat> that I think I know we say that we talk about quote giving a lot of things a pass a lot but I actually kind of mean that sort of unironically here mm. sort of yeah um, I, I'm trying to think now that Ed has put me put me back a few paces sorry <laughs> no it's good because I'm trying, I'm trying to think of the best way to articulate what what it is about the tone you know and I'm wondering too about how much of it is in in this, where you get any kind of game that has an elaborate fiction, and they all do, because mm. three quarters of mm. games seem to be in, you know, you want a back of the box thing where you can say that you have a rich, lore and history and blah 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 blah, and so every mm. game has these these uh, codex menus where you can spend about three hours reading, kind of dodgily written summaries of fictional races that you've never heard of blah 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 and so on that on that point sorry just no no, no. It, it, it'll be out by the time this podcast is out so i can i can reference it assassin's creed syndicate which i started playing today as soon as you start the game if you press pause you have 52 database <laughs> entries that you can read wow yeah but 52 I'm, I'm weird and i always read those in assassin's creed because they're usually about real things Every like new playthrough of Mass Effect or Dragon Age, I would be like, all right, this is going to be the one where I actually sit down and read all the codex entries, and I just never do. I always mm. read that shit because I feel like I'm not, I don't understand what's happening well enough. I don't, I don't trust. It's it's from taking English in university, but I don't trust if there's text to be found, and I don't read it, then I feel like I am not taking in the entire narrative that I'm supposed to. It's, well, see, that's that's lazy writing, though. Well, that, yeah, that's, exactly. what I think. I, that's what I, I think. That's I, why I hate it. 
I don't read that stuff in protest because if it's that important, then you should write it into this. That should come through in the script. I can remember them saying something about one of the Halo TV series, and it was like a news a, a news story, a press release, and it said we're going to release some internet prologue series that will introduce all of the characters and locations. I said, well, that should be your first episode of the TV show. That's what writing is. You don't get to just put it all into like a readme file. Right. Yeah. I mean, audience. they've they've been they've been really weird about transmedia stuff for a while. Um, do either of you remember the I Love Bees like viral campaign that they did with Halo Two? No. Vaguely, that's yeah, a wrong about. I mean, yeah. I don't remember specifics, but basically they put together an ARG sort of viral marketing campaign where you had to like go to a sort of fake website and wait by a phone booth at a specific time at a specific day for someone to call you and give you like a website to go to and the website would be like a download for a readme file that was like an in-game lore entry or something stupid like that like it was extensive yeah, but people loved elaborate. it mm. well then I guess this is I wouldn't mind getting back to this whole thing about lore in games because I think it's kind of garbagey in, in the bulk of cases but what i was what i was going to say about uh halo in this one is i think part of the reason that i enjoyed how they told the story in this one even if the story itself wasn't great is that it was the opposite of what we're used to now where i think if halo came out in 2015 you would probably have a menu or a website or a url scrolling across mm. the bottom of the screen saying go here and read uh, you know, 50 paragraphs about these different alien races and technologies mm-hmm. and everything. And I like that they had to be, they had to just condense that and find a way to explain it. And it gives mm-hmm. kind of an air of mystery to things that probably aren't as interesting as they seem. I think Bungie's right. good at doing that proper noun thing where you have uh, everything have these has these big the, dramatic names. Yeah. You know, the library and the pillar of autumn. And the enemies are called the Covenant, which is hilarious. Yeah. Um, and so everything has this this grandiosity to it, and this sense of mystery and importance. And in this one, at least, I don't know about the other ones, but they have to communicate that through these short cutscenes and through just what you see in the world. Mm. It, yeah, I mean, it gets a little bit worse. Like in Halo Three, they they have term like literal terminals that just give you text dumps that you can read, and they tell a lot of backstory through those. Um, But, I mean, the thing about Halo's lore that I find so strange is it's such a living, breathing thing. Like, it has almost like a sentience, because there's so much... Well, there's so much to it. There's the novels and and the games and the fucking, like, web series, and I don't even know what else. Um, There's just so... It's like Star Wars at this point, like... Where do you even start trying to catch up on Star Wars lore? You just can't. It's impossible. You just kind of have to dive in. And I think except that unless you've been following it from the beginning, you're going to at least to some degree be lost, which may not necessarily, I don't think is necessarily a good design choice, but I think it's the one that they went with. Yeah, I think probably what I'm referring to when I talk about it is is more the Halo series. If I think about the first game just in isolation, read, I think you're absolutely right. They they communicate oh, a God. lot. 
<laughs> yeah, you can, you can, <laughs> you can, you can relax now, Reed. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Congratulations. Okay. Um, no, I, I, I think that they, they, they get a, a hell of a lot out in in one game, and I think that the original Halo, the single game from beginning to end, is a pretty coherent story that begins, continues, and then ends. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually think that yeah, it's, it's probably more Halo in the kind of encompassing books, films, TV series, games sense that I, I I'm bothered by. But yeah, yeah I, I think yeah, I think the first game. I think you're right. It, it's it's a pretty a pretty solidly told adventure story with yeah, sort of mythical and religious undertones. Um, yeah, it's all right. What's well, yeah, especially the the first half of it, I think does a good job mm. of kind of setting everything up. It does peter out a little bit as it goes on. The library is probably the high point uh, for someone. You know, You're playing so it. weird. No, but playing it for the first time, uh, all the way through, and just yeah. kind of taking the story as it comes in and not really knowing much about other than the broadest strokes about where these games go in the future. And you go into the library, and it's kind of at a point in the story where you're maybe the most invested you're going to be in what's going mm-hmm. on. Because you're, yeah. you're hearing about this... Uh, trying to think of the... Get the, the time frame right, but I think it's... You do know that there's something called the Flood, that the Covenant have maybe uh, gotten close to releasing by accident. And then... Yes. Yeah. And you're being led around by this little robot who's... Peter Dinklage, who is <laughs> oh my god, man, yeah, playing playing uh, there there is just a shared Bungie universe. It's all the same thing, repeating it. The again. Bungie multiverse. Yeah, it's the Bungie monomyth. They just keep telling <laughs> the same story in different ways. But yeah. uh, yeah, the, there's at that point in time, it's you're maybe the most interested you're gonna be. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. I mean, I can't quite remember where the story ends. Uh, you activate Halo, yeah, and right? It, in, no. the, in the first one, in the yeah. first one, you you're tricked into activating Halo, and then the last third of the game is you have to figure out a way to destroy it. Yeah, right. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, uh, I I think that that's another good bait and switch. Actually, is when you learn what Halo is actually for. Yeah, um, and then you learn again what it's actually actually for. Um, yeah, yeah, and then yeah, it, yeah. it does the it's it's satisfying, but it's not. Uh, this, the plot isn't very interesting at the end, but it's satisfying in the action movie sense of you spend the yeah, last exactly. while uh, just kind of fighting for your life and trying to blow up these generators and then get the hell out of there on time. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think. There's something I was thinking about earlier on. Uh, in terms of how just playing Halo is structured, because um, it's not exactly, you know, it's not like a sandbox game, it's not an open world game, but you do get these big, you've kind of left your own devices in these quite large battlefields. Um, I can't remember exactly the name of the level now, it takes place in the snow. Yeah, yeah. I think you're thinking of assault on the control room. Assault on the control room, which is, yes. I think that's that's like that culminates with your meeting Peter Dinklage, I believe, right? Yes, it does, and that that's the level that I played and played and played because that to me 
it's such it's that's a great level it's really yeah. it's really long and there's all these open areas and these kind of big especially for 2001 really pitched battles between you know masses of alien forces masses of human forces um and i think narratively there's something to be said for that structuring because when there's a there's an incident in i think maybe the end of the second or third level of halo where you have to protect some human forces while drop ships arrive to collect them yeah and that's a scenario that i think i've played several times in you know battlefield or call of duty games in some variation and have never the the fact that i can't remember in which call of duty games or battlefield games that i played those is today telling um when it's done in like a linear level I don't really care when it's open and you've got to protect this whole area and all these people can die and the game won't end if you know unless they're all killed I don't know it feels like the stakes are higher somehow there's because there's no in a sort of linear Call of Duty Battlefield campaign there's a sort of inherent sense of control and um, parameters and this is how it's going to play out and it's it's quite choreographed when it's open and you know uh, not exactly sandbox but still open it feels like anything can happen and it becomes a lot more tense, a lot more high stakes and slightly more kind of narrative. I think that there's something to be said for that structure. That's actually why I find it the, design, the level design really interesting because I guess, tech, quote, technically, Halo is a corridor shooter in that you move from spot to spot in a predetermined sort of pattern. But within that structure, you have way more freedom and nothing, like you're saying, nothing is guaranteed. You can you can lose these Marines and it won't really matter. It's not like you have this, this safety net when you play uh, Call of Duty today and you can say, well, all right, well, if I mess this battle up, the mission will end and I'll start again. Mm. Yeah, that's um, exactly it. You're responsible for them in a way that you aren't in Call of Duty. Yeah, it's one of those few times, too. I think we're even we're talking on this one or the one, this episode, last episode or the one before that, about how it's hard to... Uh, have the same narrative impact in, in a game that's more open that gives you more player choice right uh, and and that actually is a pretty good example of how you can do that kind of thing because mm. it's absolutely true when you play call of duty and you have your i remember playing the original the world war ii one back in the day and i wasn't playing many video games at the time so they seemed a bit like magic because you thought that if enough of your guys died then maybe you know Maybe the the war would end. Well, no, you, you thought you thought things like, "Hey, you got to protect your guys who are coming with you, your squad mates, because they're going to actually be useful." You know, and oh, which is right. which is funny now after playing enough Call of Duty games where you just ignore those AI mm. AI squad mates because they're it doesn't matter if they live or die; they're not going to really affect anything. But uh, when it's when it's random, it or not random, but less controlled. It does feel like you can affect the outcome a bit more. Mm. And I, sorry, Reed. No, I was just gonna say too about that part. It also because these people can live or die pretty easily. It does actually make you feel like Master Chief is actually an important soldier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, more than anything else, the game tells you. It's that's, just well, it's, he comes. That's and a really... He helps clean up a battlefield almost by himself that's a really cool paradox because you are a literal super soldier but this is one of the games i've played that i think more than 
many others drive home the fact that you're not single-handedly winning the war. Because mm-hmm. so many times when you fight a battle, it's alongside these teams of Marines, and you just kind of happen to be there. Yeah, they kind of mm-hmm. make him like he's just an important weapon, you know? Yeah. yeah. He, can be, he can be used well, is what I, they kind of show. I think there's some a really important um, distinction, whereas whereby in, in Halo you're playing as a role model. Right, these these guys around you sort of you can hear them talking about you and saying, Oh, it's the Master Chief and they're sort of looking up to you. Um, but you're not their leader, right? When I play games where I'm the leader of the squad and you're directing, you know, where to go, uh, I like XCOM, but it is one of these games or like SOCOM on the PS two and stuff, and you're directing your team where to go. Um, they the the people that you're directing feel inherently uh, not human. They're sort of like chess pieces, and it feels yeah. like it feels like you're winning this war by yourself. I mean, you've got these pieces, but you're doing it. You're making all the decisions, and they're just enacting what you do. And it feels kind of dispassionate and a little bit cold and distant. When you're playing Master Chief and you're this role model, and you've got people kind of vocalizing like reverence towards you, and they're impressed, and they're sort of looking up to you, not to lead them, but just to sort of calcify and catalyze their confidence it's i don't know it's a really different relationship you have to those characters you you really want to sort of not let them down um not just keep them alive in a kind of i need them alive to win the mission you want them to not die because they've they've kind of trusted you um and perhaps you know these are maybe slightly too grandiose terms to discuss it in because it's it's not you know high literature or anything but that is what it felt like to me i wanted them to sort of you know get behind me follow me and you know, I'll, I'll try and help you. I, I, yeah, I really wanted to protect those well, people. I also, I mean, I also don't think it's it's overreaching to think that that may have been intentional because Bungie do a lot of things to sort of drive home that point. Like the fact that you can't ever, you can't ever directly control these Marines, um, but also, but they can work with you. They can, they can drive ride in your warthog. They can sit on your tank with you. Um, and one thing that the developer did that I really like is they gave them all individual health bars. Mm. Oh yeah. Um, so you can be riding in a scorpion tank through a, a battlefield and take like a giant plasma cannon hit and you'll lose your shields and like, Oh no, I got to hide. And then you get back on the tank and you see that you've lost one of your ride alongs or that like your, your gunner has like one little red tick of health left. And you're like, Hmm, I should probably be careful. Because it's not not just a you know, baby on board, I guess. Mm. <laughs> mm. Angry little babies. Yeah, with an Australian accent. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I, I think I think those those kinds of things are valid. Uh, again, as as uh, baby's first Halo boy here, talking about this game, I never understood why people gave a shit about Master Chief. I thought he was the most boring, like literally blank slate type characters you could possibly have. But it's a, a lot of, and, and the storytelling doesn't do much to the explicit storytelling, the dialogue and so forth doesn't do a lot to to uh, characterize him. But it, I mean, I would argue that he's not meant to be the quote main character of the series. Mm. Well, listen, man, I'm just talking about Halo... Colon oh sure, vault. sure. Oh, oh, sorry, you know? sorry. I, I forgot. I forgot the colon. My bad. I don't know what comes next. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's. I think he's a character that's made more by how he's presented as you're playing him than anything <clears> else. 
Mm. I don't know where it goes in the games that follow. Spoilers, you win the war. What? I know. Uh, and I think he kills some other monsters as well in the later ones. Oh, no. I think mm. I, I think so anyway. I, I can't remember. I can't confirm that one. I haven't mm. I can't remember exactly. Um yeah, I I the Master Chief character, I, I he's not a silent protagonist, he does have a voice, if not yes. a face yeah. or Once much in a while. personality. Yeah, he actually speaks. That, that puts him above Gordon Freeman or whomever in my mind. At least he says something. Um Yeah, I I I have no strong feelings either way about Master Chief. I'm I'm not going to uh, gun for him as being some great character or anything. No, but but I no. it playing this does uh, help contextualize why he uh, has become memorable to so many people. Mm-hmm. You know, especially over time, I can see that character keep returning to him, and if they do similar things in the in the other games. You know, getting attached to that kind of character, even though he's not much. I think it's also the uh, the admittedly creepy interplay with Cortana that factors into that sort of fan appreciation more than we might be realizing. Is he? Uh, yeah, does he have a bit of a crush on that hologram? Um, the I've I've watched enough interviews with people at Bungie where they have claimed that Cortana was quote, modeled after various girlfriends and former love interests, which in retrospect is, like, insidiously weird and bizarre. That's really weird. Um, but yeah, I don't know what the context of their relationship in the game is meant to be. Uh, yeah, it's weird, too, how they... Uh, actually kind of neat how they refer to Cortana and everything, not as it or as, as this program, mm-hmm. but they actually refer to her as a character. Yeah. Uh when I, you know, when she first pops up in the screen, I've heard of Cortana before and everything, but I kind of thought she was, you know, a, a robot or something, or like a really fully formed... I guess she is. She's an AI, right? So Yeah, she's an AI. But yeah, she's treated as, as uh, equivalent to all the other characters in terms of they don't seem to... Uh, it's a little in-universe thing that I guess an AI has enough of a personality that they treat them like another person mm. and not just like a tool God, we're not even there yet like in society oh I thought you were going to say with AIs at first <laughs> no 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 just treat, treating other people like people <laughs> yeah yeah well does Halo end up being uh, is it like utopian sci-fi uh, I don't think so no humans aren't all getting along doing well I can't even remember where it goes I can't remember what they imply about human life at this point I, I've seen the latest round of adverts for Halo 5 and all the human settlements that are featured look a bit shitty mm-hmm. um, so yeah maybe it's like that, it's a bit shitty huh. I can't really remember I can't, like I, 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 I Stalinist playing. sci-fi? yeah exactly Yeah, yeah look what we've done to ourselves <laughs> um, what do you think was uh, the best level because I the thing about the original Halo is I can very even before I'd replayed it I could very distinctly 
remember you know levels levels of, like everything has got a, a very distinctive feel and flavor um yeah i don't know which was your guys's favorite levels uh, i've always enjoyed the the beach level <clears throat> where you're driving around looking for the map room or whatever yeah oh yeah it's i've just it's it's always been such a really visually pleasing kind of mix of set you've got the alien structures and you've got the the giant beaches and the broad open spaces um and also what i like about it is a good chunk of that level is actually and not just that level but many others in the game a good chunk of that level is actually backtracking um but it's designed in such a way that it doesn't or at least to me it didn't feel super tedious like backtracking in other games because Mm. every time you go back something is slightly different Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah i think my favorite was probably i don't know if this is the same one uh but the i think the first one after the kind of introduction once you're actually on halo i thought was Uh, i don't know if that that might be the beach one no i think the beach level is the third level because i think that then the second level, you, yeah, the second level you crash land in the pod and the the ship appears right at the start and starts shooting at you. Oh yeah, um, yeah. You have, you have to you have to cross that really thin bridge right at the beginning of that level, and then you head into the caves on the warthog. Um, yeah, yeah, that's level two. I like that a lot, and I don't know if it was just because this was the first real Halo level I played. Yeah, you know, kind of getting to really take it out for a spin and and see all the the different stuff and actually kind of maneuver around the environment the first level is you know i think it's almost like three quarters you're getting little button prompts and kind of mm-hmm. learning all the different systems and then they, when they finally kind of let you out see what that game's good at mm. what the strong at doing it's all i mean it's i like that it's all very smooth there are vehicles that you can drive in lots of levels and lots of sections of levels but they're they aren't like capital letter vehicle sections kind of mm. like how in in uh in bullet storm or in duke nukem forever you have like this is the turret section and then you're the level is going to change and now you're going to be back on foot this game doesn't really do that hey patrick yeah your two your two benchmark games for comparison <laughs> yep i know i know duke nukem forever and Bulletstorm. And Bulletstorm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Listen, this game is, is pretty different I am just, from Duke Nukem I'm just, I'm just flipping every single table and scale I can find. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I absolutely agree. I think that um, one of the things I I really like about Halo is, uh, despite what I'm sure is going on behind the scenes, is very sort of controlled and thoroughly designed and very sort of intricate. When you play it, there's a great sense of carnage. Um, there's kind of like literally bodies flying up in the air. That's a really great moment as well, actually, that I meant to mention earlier. Is not just Master Chief's death animation, but the other one where like guys literally fly up and they're like waving their arms, going, whoa, and they fall from the ground. It's like I have really strong memories of that. I really love that as like an animation. There's a. Um, oh, sorry. Well, I'm just saying that. Um, yeah, the, the kind of not having distinct vehicle shooting walking sections uh, really benefits the game because you, you get these great sort of mishmash scenes where there's just bullets and blood and, and yeah, vehicles exploding and crashing into each other. And none of it's 
scripted in the sort of um, Call of Duty sense. Uh, and it, it, yeah, it just it feels like a proper. It, there's a real like sense of you know a battle and kind of um, fracas. It's 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 really well put together. Yeah, it almost reminded me of this. Might be a bit of a back ass words kind of way of looking at it, but it almost reminded me of uh, some of the Battlefield games. Mm. Not the uh, more recent Battlefield Battlefield three and four where they have. Even those have some of that good stuff in the uh, single player, but the ones like uh, Bad Company, where you can kind of it says get to this place and attack this village, and yeah. you have an expanse of of road and forest, and there are buggies and tanks and so yeah. forth and so on to jump into. Uh, here's one type of gun. Here's another type of gun. Yeah, and it's that mm. idea. And I think here's a here's a vehicle. Let's just have at it. Yeah, I think Halo is a little bit more directed than that. Because mm. you, you do see the way that they position enemies and the way the level kind of sections off uh, what you're going to run into at which point and everything. But it does have that same kind of feel of, you know, there there are parts, and I don't know if maybe I'm just bad at Halo, but I had to, there are a few levels, especially toward the end, where I had to replay parts over and over and over. And it wasn't as frustrating as it could have been because there are, a lot of legitimate options to try out, you know, mm-hmm. take mm-hmm. a take down one covenant guy, and grab his little what are those things called ghosts? Yeah, jet bike things, and then they have those plane things. The banshees. Man, I'm a mm-hmm. I'm a fake gamer guy. I don't know Maybe. anything about Halo, um, but it's all these different uh, ways that you can approach things that I don't know. A lot of times that kind of stuff I don't care too much about when it's a feature that play it your way or all that portion. Mm. But but Halo, it just kind of feels honest. Like it's, here are a handful of options that have been weighted uh, to exist in the space and you can pick what you want. Well, that's, I think, what makes it really significant is it's it doesn't come off as a, quote, gameplay feature. It doesn't come off as though they're trying to tick a design box like a player choice design box it's just sort of like we we really did just design this particular encounter um with multiple different solutions in mind rather than yeah technically there are multiple solutions but we're going to put this you know vehicle here because you're really supposed to use that Mm -hmm. Mm. yeah absolutely It, it is not it is not um wacky it's not, hey, look at all the billions of things you can do. It's it's very, uh, this might seem a bit of a weird word to use in a game about a robot man shooting aliens on a circular halo-shaped space planet. But it is very, it's understated. <laughs> in, <laughs> um, in a lot of ways. I mean, I, 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 I last year played Far Cry 4, which uh, had some similar pretensions and conceits in that it's big open areas uh, that you can approach in a variety of ways and my god does it want you to know it you know it's, yeah. it's just it, it's desperate to be liked and to be reputed to have lots and lots of content and options you know yeah. it, and, and Halo is the opposite of that it's just it's very very um, yeah very like you said uh, Patrick just honest I think one kind of interesting 
what one neat trick um, that you can use to to kind of as a tell is Halo's arsenal of weapons is actually not very large. Mm. Um, you've got the assault rifle and the shotgun, and then there's a handful of alien weapons and like the rocket launcher and the pistol, and that's pretty much it. Um, and they all are different, not in the way that like an AK-47 is different from an M16, but like tactically and strategically, they're all distinct from each other, which yeah. is, I think it takes a lot of, maybe this is a weird word to use, a lot of courage for a developer to do that in a shooting game that's meant to last you 10 to 12 hours. Um, but if you're able to pull it off, I think it is a much better way to go than mm. the, the, the Borderlands stated objective of, quote, like zillions of guns. Yeah. I'm. That's a really good point. I'm just an asshole because I was just thinking of how we can make show notes for this episode. Let's put Halo, courageous, understated. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a just, cologne. Yeah. I was just gonna say we're making an OK Cupid profile. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is um, a good point. I'm sorry. I just couldn't. <laughs> no, that 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 is a really good a really good standard for. Um, yeah, for, 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 I can't remember what I was watching. Oh, man, what was it? It was some gameplay trailer video. Oh, it was it was Fallout 4, and it was their E3 yeah. showcase. And, yeah, they I kind of took a minute. About. Yeah, they took a minute out and did that sort of speed ramping. Uh, look how many weapons you can customize and create and to what kind of fetishistic detail you can customize and create them. And you can hear, you know, the terrifying but inevitable whooping of people from the crowd at every new gun and it's slightly more palatable to me in you know a game of the sort of size and breadth of fallout 4 but still um yeah that that to me is not the true nature of variety lots and lots and lots of different or you know vaguely different tools and weapons it's something like halo where you have uh, a fairly small set of weapons and rules and uh, devices and mechanics, and they are just applied to different, you know, geography and locations and sort of enemy setups. Um, that to me feels like more more like variety. It feels almost like if you just cram a shitload of guns in your game, then you're leaving all of the hard work up to the player to kind of figure out a way to make all of these tools yeah. together in a way that's useful or entertaining. Whereas if you actually take the time to, in, in a very real sense, design the tools and design the encounters, then you can still let people feel like they are in the driver's seat, in some cases literally, but also not have to relinquish control, which we keep talking about is really, really hard to do, especially in larger games. This harks back to a discussion that we had in our very first episode on Bioshock, where we all agree that despite the enormous amount of plasmids and weapons and so on, we never really used any of them because the mm -hmm. situations just didn't call for it. You were always just faced with the same, you know, wave of pretty similarly behaving enemies. Uh, and yeah, yeah, it was up to the onus was on the player in that game to sort of do something that looked sort of uh, varied and original. Uh, whereas Halo kind of does that work on your behalf, but still lets it feel like you're doing it. It's just, it's a really, 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 really well-balanced thing. Yeah, it's kind of a game that was sort of perched on the edge of uh, this big descent into more uh, bigger 
more content in every game. Mm-hmm. If you know what I mean? Like the like the yeah. Borderlands example, mm-hmm. or uh, even uh, Call of Duty. As much as I'm number one fan of Call of Duty in the world, you are. Um, I can never get into the multiplayer very much because of just the sheer number of options available mm. that are almost indistinguishable from each other. And I feel like there's, well, I no, I know there are people out there crunching numbers on on all these little things, and it's it's less. I don't know. It's less satisfying somehow than a game where. You're presented with eight to ten different options, and mm. you kind of figure things out by feel and by uh, getting a an in, sort of intuitive understanding of, of how the dynamics of the different guns and enemy types and blah 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 work out. Yeah, yeah. I think the the best thing I could one of the best things I could say about Halo is that nothing is uh, wasted or wasteful. You know everything, even from a writing point of view. I think most intro- everything that's introduced is is paid off, and um, the same goes for guns and enemy types. There's no junk uh, in Far Cry and in uh, games like that. I feel like there's a lot of stuff that's just lying around that um, is there simply to to pad out and and tick a box of we've got you know X amount of items for the player to pick up in Halo everything is is used everything has like a really good moment where you need it and use it um and that to me is yeah very important yeah there um there's a a quote that i think i might have mentioned before when we were talking about this game that i kind of wanted to bring up while we were here i can't remember who said it so i'm already off to off to a great start here thomas jefferson um all right we'll attribute to thomas jefferson who freed the slaves um the quote is that Halo did for frat boys what Harry Potter, sorry, Harry, Halo did for frat boys what Harry Potter did for kids is, I believe, what the statement was, in that it was almost single-handedly responsible for driving a kind of huge surge in, in Harry Potter's case, it was getting kids to read, and in Halo's case, it was getting people interested in playing video games who otherwise hadn't ever really considered it. Hmm. Because, um, I mean, Halo came out, well, the series was released right around the time I was, at, like, in college, and I don't think there was a dorm room on campus that didn't have, like, an Xbox and a copy of Halo. Yeah, it was pretty ubiquitous. I don't know, though, I, I've heard that before, that quote. I wonder if it's, for some reason, I think it might be, like, Cliff Blazinski. God, I hope not. The immortal words of <laughs> the immortal Cliffy words B. of Cliffy B. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I always felt like there were PlayStation twos kicking around everywhere throughout most of university, and it, it wasn't so much Halo was this thing that everyone was playing so much as it was just kind of around. Yeah. Uh... I, I yeah I, I I can understand that quote. It feels like one of those trying to make video games sound as important or whatever right, as, right. as everything else. And if it does come from Cliffy Cliffy B B to steal <laughs> one of Patrick's jokes, <laughs> um, then then yeah I I struggle to take it seriously. I remember I remember an advert for, for Halo, 
Bearing in mind, Halo came out when I was 11 years old, and this was oh, a TV spot. Yeah. Um, so this is st- this is st- even in the mind of an 11 year old boy, this struck me as uh, <laughs> kind of annoying. And it was the TV spot was footage of Halo and then a quote. So you have like footage of Halo, and it'd be like, um, "This is the best shooter I've ever played, Mike from Yorkshire." And then another, another <laughs> it, and then it'd be like it would be more more footage, and then it would be, "Oh, it feels like I'm actually in a battle, Jeff from you know Cornwall." And there was another bit of footage, and then there's a final quote, and it said. I used to have a boyfriend until Halo, Susan from London. <laughs> oh, Christ. Oh, and I could, even as an 11 year old, just going off. Oh, well, I probably didn't say, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> I mean, you probably did. I, uh, maybe I did. I'd like to imagine it that way. Um, I might try and find that on YouTube for our show notes that... because that is, a, yeah, what a, what a time we were alive and are still alive in. Yeah. Oh dear me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I I can see Halo as a, you know, I I know it was a big motivating factor in sales of the Xbox. It was the to coin an awful Silicon Valley term. Don't kid. say it. Don't All right, say I'm it. not gonna say it. I'm not gonna say it. But you know the one I mean. I do. Uh, I can't. I can't actually think of it. So now I'm curious. It rhymes. Right. It rhymes. It rhymes with driller crap. <laughs> Or, oh, okay, okay, okay. Fill a map. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand what you're saying. Chiller chap. Yeah, that's... Chiller chap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Silicon Valley term. It's a Vanilla chap. rap. Vanilla yeah. rap, yeah. Vanilla rap. You can see Xbox is chiller chap. We have a celebrity in the UK who actually died recently called Silla Black, which is close enough, if you were to break into Microsoft headquarters in 2000, I'm pretty sure it would say, like, Halo is the killer app. Yeah. Oh. I know. I know. You uh, did it. I, you did it. I, I, I was settling on I'm, Chiller Chap. I'm just going to yeah. hang up now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, just going to leave. You can, when, whoever edits this, which is humorous because it's me for this episode, um, can just, like, cut my entire part out. I'll just leave. <laughs> But I, I I think that the Xbox as a console definitely developed in... Oh, Jesus Christ, I hate myself for the way I'm talking right now. I think that the Xbox had an association with the frat boy end of the video gaming market, which probably began with Halo. I mean, the Xbox was in a very real sense... I mean, obviously not chronologically, because the Xbox was in... Develop or in production when Halo was in development, but the Xbox was more or less designed around Halo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, if you yeah. look at the the controller and the capabilities and everything, see, I don't know. This is so funny because I had a roommate who had an Xbox in university, and it, it was great because he had different games than I had on a PlayStation Two, uh, and he had Halo Two, and we played it once in a while. But we spent way more time playing there was a tennis game and a James Bond game. And so when I think of the... I always think it's strange because I know it's an outlier, but, you know, Halo defined the Xbox. I was, I'm thinking, like, no, Virtua Tennis. 
four <laughs> and like yeah night fire it might so, well, I mean, that might be the one yeah yeah that was that was that era's james bond game was 007 night fire that sounds that sounds right yeah but yeah i, I know it was it was this huge thing but it's just you know an- anecdotally it was just never a thing that was big with people i knew it was all mm. you should you should take notes of everything that we're saying and drop them into MS Paint and just draw a bunch of red lines all over it and show us that we're wrong. <laughs> yeah. In... Like, actually, if you look to this screen-capped JPEG, you can see clear evidence that Virtua Tennis was the real driving force behind Xbox development. Yeah, I'm going to dig deep into the archives of sales numbers and show you. Oh I think you probably just belong to a sort of sophisticates gaming <laughs> book club that had no time for Halo. Yeah, let me tell you, when we were drinking 40s of it was, it was uh, yeah. Was it? Did you guys instead of Mountain Dew, did you drink like Prosecco? Yeah, yeah, only, only that. Yeah, like literally ever only Prosecco. Prosecco Red Energy. <laughs> oh god! Uh, I... It's so it's so funny because Halo is such a well designed game, but it's also like such a flagship for all this like hyper gamer bullshit. It's just such a weird. But that's after of... that's after the first one, you know. That, yeah, the the, fir- the first one, you know, I, I I try to keep it in sort of quarantine in my mind from all of that stuff because it, it's not it's not directly responsible or you know a bedfellows for all of those things. It was just, it was a really great shooting game. Yeah, but um, you, can't, you can't tie that stuff up together, though, regardless, no. you know, if, if Halo's good, then who cares what the worst excesses of of its fans represent, you know? The, the mm. Halo fandom, to <laughs> use, a, use a phrasing that makes me want to jump out my first story window. <laughs> fandom makes me just want to jump out of my skin. Yeah, terms. that's, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and and this is I'm not a fan. This is coming from the community director of the Call of Duty fandom. <laughs> uh, did anyone read any of the Halo novels? I did. I tried, and I, I mean, this was at the height of my Halo fandom. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um. So I was really into the Halo fiction, and the writing was just the prose was so bad, I just couldn't do it. See, I I read those, and the Resident Evil novels. Oh wow! Um, hey, those were great. <laughs> uh, no, they were terrible. Uh, all video game. God, did anyone ever? This is a complete tangent. I'm sorry. Did anyone ever read the Metal Gear Solid novelization? No, no. Even, uh, wow, that's yeah, that's, that exists. Wow. I was probably at a good uh, age for that too, and I, I never did. It makes Hideo Kojima look like fucking Keats is. <laughs> <laughs> all I'd say for it, it's it, it, remarkable work. Well, did either of you see that article that was published today or the other day comparing Kojima uh, to Jonathan Franzen? That to who? Jonathan Franzen. Is right. So far off the mark. <laughs> Listen, I am yeah. I am also someone who, in September, read Purity and played the entirety of The Phantom Pain. And you yeah. don't see me writing about how they connect. No. All right. Nonsense. No, you just you just got scooped, Reed. You have to have to accept. Yeah, that's it. it's okay. That's the only reason I'm bitter. Otherwise, it's complete one-to-one correlation between fucking Jonathan <laughs> Franzen and Hideo Kojima. 
give me a break. <laughs> I think John Jonathan Franzen also posts highly sexualized pictures of his brunch to Twitter, I believe. The only thing uh, that the... two of them have in common wasn't even pointed out in the article, which is that they both have sort of caveman views of women. And, or, or not caveman views, they're terrified of women, the two of them. Yeah. But but other than that, there's, I don't know. Jonathan Franzen writes, this isn't a book podcast. Yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> um, I like the grunts in Halo and how they, <laughs> I, I like the noises that they make. That's my last point. I had some notes, and well, the little, nice. the little kind of he's here. Yeah, it's just things. Yeah, it's fantastic. And in uh, are... in later games, they've they've added a little feature where if you hit, you know how you if you punch somebody in the back, they die instantly. Yeah, similar yeah. to real life. Yeah. <laughs> um, in the later games, if you assassinate a grunt in such a way, their methane tank will like pop off and spin around like a deflated balloon in a comical fashion. Yeah, are you? That's got, that's that's too far. They that's too far. I I already they they ruin it. I I was wondering if you're supposed to feel a bit bad about killing those things, especially when they're sleeping. Yeah, yeah. I I almost thought I that know. was a kind of a some dark humor that they put in where you're sneaking up on them and they're snoring away, and then you hit them. And... They are characterized as basically being incompetent, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they just seem like I don't know. They're like the little goofballs of the alien invaders. Yeah, um, salacious crumb of the covenant. The 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 punching people thing that brings that, my final point is I love the way that the actual shooting and violence in Halo is. Like, you really get like a <laughs> when you punch someone, it really feels like fucking smacking his teeth out and. <laughs> The guns have got like a really good distinctive sound, all of them, really good blood sprays and you, mm-hmm. you, there's a really satisfying thing when you get one of the brute enemies and you, you're shooting him in his like orange weak spot and instead of the sort of unsatisfying ping 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 of his armour, you're getting all this like orange blood going all over the floor. Mm-hmm. And I sound like a psychopath and I don't care. No, and you just wanna you just fucking <laughs> it, it, it's really it's really, really bloody and yeah uh, the energy sword feels fucking great uh yeah it's it's a really it's violent in a way that i enjoy wait you could pick yeah you could pick up that energy sword in halos 2 onward you can oh, okay yeah yeah i thought i was missing something when ed says there are there are like tip there are little tricks in the first one um like you know about the hunters the big the big dudes with like the Mega Man cannon on their arm. Yeah, the, oh, that's who I, I, that's who I was thinking. Big, yeah, well you can, big blue ones. You can kill them. You can kill them in one shot from a pistol. Whoa! How do you do that? Um, they're like if you go around the back, Ed, like Ed was saying, their big glowing orange weak point just takes one pistol shot there to kill them. Which is funny because they never ever tell you that, and they always give you like a rocket launcher when yeah. you're about to fight them. I thought they were just supposed to be kind of spongy. Now you can just go boom, and then just go yes. and die. Bullet points is a premier source for Halo tips and tricks, <laughs> cheats and beatems. Like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Yeah, I'm gonna give you top ten Halo tricks you haven't heard of since 2003. <laughs> Shoot the blue guys Hunt- in the back. Hunters hate it. <laughs> Did you know? <laughs> um, no, and also to Ed's point about 
he's going to be put on a watch list. It's just a matter of time now for <laughs> all three of it's us. True. I mean, it's true. This the same thing. I it's fucked, and I understand it too. Just that there there's something that you have to talk about when you talk about certain shooters when they get that gun stuff right is this certain awful animal part of yourself that enjoys mm-hmm. you know just violence I, I, yeah. I, I've said it before Reed you, you talked in the Resident Evil 4 episode about liking the noise that they make when their heads explode yeah that's that's what put me on the list yeah, well I, I don't think it's anything to be ashamed of I, I like violence in movies I like violence in games I think it's fun and I um, think that it's there's nothing you know Personally, I can separate the two things very easily from that's, well, that's yeah. in the game and that's real life. There's, there's, like, there's not even any kind of point where I worry about a crossover. They're so, you know, differentiated. Um, yeah, so, I, yeah, I, I don't know. It doesn't bother me. No, abs- I mean, what's, absolutely. What's, what's putting me on that list is that when I played this game as a 13 or 14-year-old, I was fascinated by the fact that after you kill the grunts or the elites or whatever, you can keep whacking them. Yeah. And the, the blood sprites will keep kind of popping out and like it will, they'll accumulate on the ground and you can create this giant blood spatter that is completely not representative of the amount of blood that could possibly have been in a body of an alien that size, but it just kept happening. I was like, this is so cool. Mm. Yeah. I don't know, man. We're, we're doing a podcast about shooting games. We're going to, we're going to eventually just get deep into, uh, deep into the nightmare realms. Fox News territory. Psyche. Mm. Yeah, no, it's what Ed says too. It is it is something completely different and if you're going to talk about shooting games, a lot of times you have to understand what what makes why you would enjoy that. What, you know, whether well, it's, that's I mean, good it's a critical, it's a, it's a critical part of the genre and I, I have a feeling we might even be able to stretch this into an actual episode a future episode, just the fact that like violence in shooters is a very distinct type of violence, um, and just what kind of that entails and what that means or doesn't mean for enjoying it. Yeah, no, it's that's mm-hmm. definitely a that that would be a good idea to stretch that out at some point. I don't know. I'm always interested in the difference between violence in entertainment and violence in, uh, in real life. Because it's mm-hmm. you know it's fascinating in shooters and action films and so forth and so on, but repulsive in real life. Mm. You know, absolutely repulsive to to uh, to see anything of the sort. Anyway, well, don't kill people. That's that's our <laughs> takeaway. <laughs> Halo is courageous, understated, and will leave you knowing never to kill people. Exactly. It's courageous, understated. You can kill hunters by shooting with one pistol around in the back, and and don't kill anyone. Yeah. But you can paint the ground with alien blood. Yeah. Um. I'm just gonna jump in here and just say, uh, seven out of ten. Yeah, seven out of ten. Yeah. Solid. Yeah. I mean, I, I I know sometimes we we you know we we have to think about it, but this one is is absolutely just done up. Simple seven on ten. Yeah, yeah. it down, is. It, down it down. is like the textbook definition of seven out of ten. Yeah, yeah, right there with. I mean, you. I nearly, I nearly opened the episode just by going, "This is seven out of 10 mm-hmm. um, <laughs> That's just going to be the show notes. That's all. Then it's confusing. It's a new podcast. They might think it's a different title. And... 
gotta, you gotta stay on brand. It's yeah, true. yeah, yeah. Reed McCarter, Call of Duty super fan. Yep. Bullet points. Brand manager. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, that was that was Halo. I mean, it's Halo. You, most of you know it and have played it, um, and have opinions on it. And now you know our opinions on it as well. And we hope that that enriches your life in some way. Um, I have been this week's host, Patrick Lindsay. You can find me online um, on Twitter at Han Freaking Solo. Uh, I'll go. I'll, I'll go. Shall okay, I go? Cool. Yeah, I'll yeah, do, do it. yeah, yeah. I'll do mine. Cool. Okay. Uh, I'm Ed Smith, and you can find me on the internet and on Twitter specifically, which is a part of the internet, at most sincerely Ed, and all of my writing is there. Nailed it. Thanks. Uh, uh, is it my turn? Yes, it is, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Alright, ready. Uh, my name is Reed McCarter. And I am on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at R E I D Mick Carter. All right, <laughs> I, I I give that I give that sign off a seven out of ten as well. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I think they were all pretty pretty firmly seven. I had dinner earlier, by the way, and that was that was a, a really good seven out of ten. Yeah. Nice. I love seven out of ten dinners. Yeah. So it... Gratifying. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, I got hit yeah. in the head by a football. Seven on ten? That didn't actually happen, but if it did, it'd probably uh, be about a seven out of ten. About a seven on ten. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what are we doing? Why are you listening to us? <laughs> Thank you all so much for tuning in to uh, this episode of Bullet Points. Um, next, not next week, but next episode. Fortnite. Next Fortnite. <laughs> Um, we're going to be looking at Kane and Lynch 2. Dog, Dog Days is the subtitle? It is. Yeah. It's IO Interactive, um, the Hitman people. Um, so that's what we're going to be playing for next time if you want to brush up. It should be an interesting episode. It's it's a good game, sort of. So he says. It remains yeah. to be seen. Yeah. All right, well, we will. Uh, you'll hear from us next time. This has been Bullet Points, and I'm going to sign off now. Good, goodbye.